Recording live from the LaSalle Street Securities Headquarters in Chicago. Welcome in to another episode of LaSalle Street Live. Hey everybody, how you doing? Zach Sandeman here, host of the LaSalle Street Live podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode. You're about to listen to one of the earlier episodes that we ever recorded here on the podcast. This is actually the second episode that we ever recorded. Uh, In it, you're going to learn a little bit more about Mark Conti, our chief business development officer. He'll talk about his background. He'll talk about why he really enjoys working in the financial services industry. And he'll kind of outline his responsibilities as a part owner and the chief business development officer here at LaSalle Street Securities. From there... We have a great conversation about what I believe is one of this industry's biggest buzzwords. That word is independence. You hear the word independence thrown around by every financial services firm in the space, regardless of their size, regardless of who owns them, regardless of if they're public or private, regardless of their policies and how restrictive they actually may or may not be. Everybody uses the word independence and it's become a convoluted term that may or may not have lost its meaning on a lot of financial advisors. So this episode is dedicated to helping financial advisors understand what different interpretations of independence are and dedicated to helping financial advisors discover their own version of independence and what they truly want and what they need to run their businesses their way. So I think it's a great episode and an important one, and I hope you enjoy it. But first, Mark, I just want to talk about, maybe we'll start with the more human thing. Um, Why do you like your job? Tell us what your job is first. So... um I head up business development for the firm, and what that means uh, at a high level is really sourcing uh, new business opportunities for the firm. Uh, that could be, uh, you know, recruiting new advisors uh, to our platform. Uh, could be uh, M&A activity, meaning f- you know finding other firms to buy or to merge with. Uh, could mean uh, supporting our the growth of our existing and anything that. Uh, all the activities associated with growing this firm. Um, But I also do play a senior management role uh, here as managing the day-to-day business here at the home office. Uh, So, you know, 90% of my time is spent in those, you know, kind of those high-level areas. All right, and um, tell us why you enjoy what you do. Well, I get a lot of enjoyment out of helping others. you know, that's probably first and foremost. Uh, I always like to see a an advisor that's having, um, uh, I, I don't like to see it, but you know, commonly when we're recruiting someone there's, uh, or, or talking to an advisor that's considering joining us, you know, he has something or he or she has something at her, his or her existing firm that's not right. Uh, he or she's not happy with, something's wrong. There's a catalyst there to uh, go through the effort of making a move to another firm. And I get a lot of personal reward out of being able to uh, solve that problem for them 
and then uh, in turn, you know, helping grow the business at the same same time by bringing on that that advisor. So that that's a common example. I also get a lot of pleasure in helping our advisors grow their businesses. Um, I, I um, worked very closely with one of our advisors out of Virginia uh, a couple of years ago, helping him acquire a book from a advisor at another firm, and uh, you know, consulted with him from almost start to finish, and really, you know, helped that advisor really double the size of his practice uh, in in a fairly short period of time. So I took a lot of great pleasure uh, out of that, um, you know, things like that, and then just building relationships with. Uh, with people, um, you know, a lot of our advisors I've known for a long time, uh, even before my role here when I was at Fidelity. Uh, I got to know uh, some of the reps and uh, really starting to get to know them, their families, uh, who they are as people outside of what they do every day. So, you know, if I had to boil it down to what really charges me up every day uh, from what I do, it's 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 those things, and and not to mention, you know, just the day to day running of this business. So. Um, um, you know, seeing it uh, thrive and grow and be relevant in, in this uh, industry where a lot of firms uh, are not in that position uh, brings me uh, personal reward as well. So you mentioned the relationship building aspect of your job. Um, and, and that's kind of how we market the firm as, as a firm interested in establishing long-term partnerships with financial advisors and what you really do um, you know to boil it all the way down is you establish a good relationship with the financial advisor so that ultimately they can maintain and establish good relationships with clients Um, and so we had a conversation before this podcast you know do we want to talk about any potential role that what you do here and what the the leadership team at at LaSalle Street Securities does to help the end client or do we want to focus more on how you help the advisor and I think what we arrived at is is ultimately what maybe makes you guys feel good is that you guys are furthering the American dream for a lot of financial advisors you guys are helping financial advisors run their own businesses the way that they want to run them yeah, so just to you know, kind of get into that a little bit, um, you know, we view our client as the advisor, right? The advisor's clients are his client, are his or her client. So right. you know, there's a there's a um, arm's length relationship between us here at the firm and the advisor's clients. So do we provide a platform uh, for the client to? have an account to make investments based on the advisor's recommendations, to get statements, to do everything he, he or she wants to do as it pertains to managing their investments or their retirement accounts? Yes. However, uh, we, let the advise, we, we give the advisor more of the platform and the forum to run his business or her business on our platform the way he or she wants to run it and then manage the relationship and what he or she recommends to his client or his or her clients, we leave that up to the to the to the rep, right? Mm-hmm. As long as it fits within the compliance parameters and that the industry has set forth, um, you know, we let the the advisor, do, you know, work with his clients the way he or she wants to work with their clients. But to your to your point, you know, do we foster entrepreneurship? Absolutely, independent um, an independent financial advisor. Um, 
you know, is, is uh, uh, probably one of the more entrepreneurial uh, things and businesses you could you can do. And a lot of these advisors are one-man uh, offices out in you know cities across the country, and it's just them and maybe their assistant or maybe another advisor uh, running a business and managing their clients' assets. So, um, and they rely on a firm like us that has the infrastructure to help them uh, uh, manage and transact their business on a daily basis with their clients. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Entrepreneurism is, that's a tough word, you know. I don't know if you said entrepreneurship. I don't know if that's a word. I don't know. It might be a word, but that's a tough one. That one is tough to say on the podcast for, for a rookie like me in the podcast game, you know. That's a tough one. Um, but the concept of entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurship, whatever it may be, is very appealing to me. And as somebody who is going after uh, a Series 7 license right now, I don't know if ultimately I will become a financial advisor or not. And if that were to occur, I don't know uh, if I were, you know, if I would build my own business out and become an, an independent or, or anything like that. But it's very appealing to me to, as somebody who has an entrepreneurial spirit, it's appealing to me to uh, see a potential career path where I could become a financial advisor and affiliate with a firm like LaSalle Street and then ultimately be my own boss, really. And it makes me wonder, not to be critical in any way, but it does make me wonder why some financial advisors out there would affiliate with a larger firm or any firm that isn't providing the same level of true independence that we can give to a rep. Well, okay, so a couple things on that. One, you know, you, um, uh, if I had to guess, um, you know, you saw when when you joined here, were considering what you were going to do out out of college, right? Um, you interned with us for a few years, and you saw that, okay, you know, um, one. If you took this route uh, to come here versus going to a large organization, there was going to be some entrepreneurialism. Yeah, this is a great comparison. Okay, yeah. in your role here, meaning meaning you're coming into a firm where day one the work you're doing here was going to mean something, mm-hmm. and you had a somewhat of a runway under my guidance to kind of do this quote-unquote, the way you wanted to, to do it, mm-hmm. right? And I've just been trying to guide you on where sometimes you want to maybe step over a line or something like that. But for the most part, you're going to have some freedom here to, to, to jumpstart this effort that we've hired you to, to do, where if you went to a large organization out of college, which a lot of college graduates, that's their dr- dream, but their first role is for the first year or two, uh, being an assistant to somebody else, pushing paper, doing spreadsheets, filing mm-hmm. paper, you know, things of that nature. So not too dissimilar than a financial advisor out there, you know, similar similar thing. Does does he want to work in a big organization where he's he or she's kind of being dictated to from the top down? It's like, okay, this these are the products you can recommend to your clients. Here's what we're going to pay you. Uh, you. The list is long. Or do I want to affiliate with a a more of a boutique mid-sized firm where I can know the management and I can run my business the way and work with my clients the way I think is best, not the way someone else thinks is best. So where the trap is sometimes is sometimes advisors view bigger is better, 
Uh, sometimes that's true. I would say in this industry, that's not always the case. I mean, we, we affiliate uh, or we connect to Fidelity from a clearing perspective. So we have, you know, Fidel, even though we're a midsize organization, you know, a, a, a small to midsize organization, I'll call us, you know, we have the power of an organization like Fidelity behind us. You know, we have access to all their funds, all their products, their platforms, their technology, all that stuff. So we can we can look like a big company, uh, that a, everything a big company offers inside once you get here, and you quickly realize, okay, these guys can do everything that a Merrill Lynch can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But sometimes that's a huge education to the advisor because they don't understand sometimes what it, being independent really means. You are really running your business every day. You're dealing with you know, lease of your office, you're hiring people for an assistant, you have to deal with health benefits, you have to deal with everything running a business which sometimes takes you away from working with your clients. You know, so a percentage of your day every day is, is managing the business, and all you really want to do is work with your clients. So there's a balance there too. Yeah, I mean, when I decided just to bring it back to, to that comparison, because I think it's a good one, um, you know, much like a, a kid out of college has to make a decision to join a big team and play a small role or join a, a small team and play a big role, um, you know, it's it's very similar to that. You know, what we like to say to advisors <coughs> is, you know, we we can provide you with a seat at the table, so to speak. You know, where where you can do whatever you want with your business as long as it's compliant and as long as you know it doesn't make life harder for anybody here. Yeah, right? and just to, just so you know what seat seat at um, seat at the table means. Meaning, um, some people might view that as like, okay, does that mean they'll provide me ownership to the company? It's like that. That's not. That's not what we're talking about. Seat at the table means, um, uh, you know, you have a uh, you come into the office, you call. Uh, and, you, and you say, hey, uh, let me talk to Mark or Dan or Jack, who, who collectively own the firm. I have, a, I have an issue. I have something I want to talk about. You, know, you have direct access to the leadership and ownership of the company who make the decisions on where this company's going every day at the home office level. So that seat at the table, all of our advisors have a seat at the table, not just our top 20% or anything like that. If our smallest producing advisor has an issue, mm-hmm. they have a seat that they can call. We'll talk to them. We'll listen to it. We'll try to find a solution if we can, um, and 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 try to resolve that issue as quickly as 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 possible. So that's what we mean by a, a seat at the table. I just want to be mm-hmm. clear on that. You know, and and it's interesting that concept, greater independence in anything, it seems extremely appealing, and that's why I took this job rather than going and working at, you know, one of the ad agencies I was looking at where I would have, you know, had to be dictated to and, and told every told, told my box that I had to work within, um, you know, and it's just, it's crazy to think that a financial advisor wouldn't want that. And what you see, to, to tie it to another podcast, the Mindy Diamond podcast is one that we listen to here at LaSalle Street, and she always says, when she talks to financial advisors, and they say it too when she interviews them, after they make the decision to gain more independence, the first thing that they always say is that they wish they did it sooner. So it's like eventually a financial advisor is going to come to a point where he wants that seat at the table, but how come for a lot of people they don't realize it until later? And and I don't know, I've always kind of been somebody personally to tie it back to my situation where I made this decision to choose the more independent route. I've always been like a mature individual who always saw 
the end of the road. And I don't know if that's what it was about, but it, you know, it's 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 puzzling to me why some people would maybe choose the larger outfit over the smaller, more boutique style service. So usually what happens when you start your career in this business, you know, a lot of people start at large firms. That's where the mm-hmm. sometimes the salaries are, the jobs are, the, you know, the, um, it and just, the, the ability to build a book, right? Is prob- that's like the, the most appealing thing to me, I would think. The ability to go in and build a book or work with a senior advisor at a large firm that may be retiring over the next five years. And next thing you know, you're stepping into a book from a retiring advisor or someone leaves and, and they, you, hey, you get handed that person's book. You know, the, and then you know, 10, 15 years later, you realize, okay, well, that was great, but you know, uh, my payout is low my fees are high yeah i'm really not run i'm running this business the way the, the firm wants me to run it not not necessarily the way i want to work with my clients right. so a lot of times it's a it's an it's it's an experience uh, thing it's a it, you know the, it, it's a uh, you know starting to explore what other business models are out there and in your 20s and 30s that's probably not what you're focused on you're focused on building your business and building your career and making more money uh, but then the light bulb goes off at some point. It's like, wow, there's got to be a better way. You know, let me explore this independent path that I've always heard about, but I don't know enough about it. I don't know if I believe it's really out there. You talk to a wirehouse rep, it's like, wow, 90% payouts, and I'm free to you know, kind of work with my client. I don't have to sell this product or that product or you know, all of a sudden, you know, after you consult with them for a little while, the light bulb goes off. Um, you know, we have an Edward Jones. I'm not going to mention his name yet because he's not here yet. But, um, you know, we have an Edward Jones rep uh, coming on in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, we spent a good couple months talking to him about the difference of his, uh, his experience of working at Edward Jones versus what it's going to be here at LaSalle Street. And you almost saw as the conversations went on and we proved to him and we showed him you know, what his business would look like here, you saw the light almost click on, you know, the bulb clicked on. It's like, wow, why didn't I do this before? Right. Right. So that's what financial services means at LaSalle Street, is providing that service to a financial advisor to be more truly independent and in charge of his or her own business, in a nutshell. Well. Yeah, as far as what we do here every day, yes, that's our version of financial services. But at the end of the day, you know, we provide access to you know, as as a as a as a Series Seven or Series Sixty Five licensed advisor, by law, you have to be affiliated with a broker dealer or an RIA. Mm -hmm. So we provide that forum, so then you can do trades for your clients Mm -hmm. and and interact in the marketplace. So talk about financial services. That that's Mm-hmm. You know, that's really what it is. Well, let's get into that word independent then. Um, you know, as a, a marketing guy in this industry now, that's the word, all right? That's the buzzword that you want to throw at the financial advisor, just like from getting email campaigns and, and checking out other firms' websites and social media accounts. That's the word. So, what does it really mean from your perspective? True independence. Well, if you want to know the definition of what I think a financial advisor thinks true independence is, um, many financial advisors, and, and they're right, uh, believe that being truly independent is owning your own RIA, 
right, where you don't affiliate with a BD or a corporate RIA of a broker dealer, having your own RIA, mm-hmm. right, and and being and running that RIA the way you want to run and work with your clients. That 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 is the ultimate definition of in our industry of independence. Okay, the ultimate definition. Now, then there's sub levels of independence under under that. But if you had to put what is the ultimate definition of independence, I would say you put 100 people in a room, I think, you know, you, you'd, you'd get a very high percentage, high percentage, maybe as high as something in the 90s. I would say that is, that's my definition of true independence. Now, you know, then you have some advisors that feel like, okay, well, as long as I can affiliate with a firm, do my business, no matter if it's transactional or fee-based. I affiliate with a firm and they leave me alone to run my business the way I want to run it. As long as I operate within the compliance framework of the firm, that's enough for me to define my independence, mm-hmm. right? And that's what our reps do. Right. Okay. So then that's that's a good segue to bring it into what your reps do. Define independence for them. Uh, the type of independence you provide in terms of these three areas, we'll start with compliance. What does independence from a compliance perspective at LaSalle Street Securities look like for a financial advisor? Well, you can't, first of all, you can't be independent from compliance, right? The industry has laid out uh, guidelines and you're reading about them in your Series 7 mm-hmm. materials, what the rules and regulations are. Not of this. yet, not yet. Okay, but, yes. but what you will be, what you can and can't do within this industry, right? right. Uh, there's guidelines out there under the direction of FINRA. Right, mm. um, and right. and the firm, each each broker dealer, has to then abide by those. Make sure we're abiding by those rules, and then making sure our advisors are abiding by those rules and regulations. That's what compliance does. On the fee side, that's all regulated by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. But again, there's a whole subset of rules around how. We all operate in a fee-based world under the SEC's guidelines. And again, compliance, you know, is making sure that the firm, mm-hmm. as well as our advisors who are affiliated with the firm, are following those, guide- right. those rules well, and guidelines. So what, what you see as I talk to a lot of advisors is that it's more than that. A lot of firms will take that compliance oversight to the next step and almost create a second layer of compliance where you not only have to comply with FINRA and the SEC, but you now have to comply with our firm's guidelines that we've created to protect us. And I guess what I'm asking you to to talk on is is how we don't really have that concept here. Well, no, we do, we do. Uh, that that's not an accurate statement. For example, um, you know we have limitations on uh, the amount of non-traded REITs that a cl- a rep can uh, recommend to his client within the framework of percentage of net worth of his client, right? Meaning, so a client can only have a certain percentage of his net his or her net worth in non-traded REITs, mm. for example. Okay. So so at some areas. There's a l- additional layers, right? Sure. But the, the overarching goal is to not have compliance be a barrier to, for example, we had an advisor in here yesterday from another firm that's considering making a move and joining us. His, he, he does a lot of advertising. He does uh, 
radio spots. He does uh, social networking. He does um, uh, uh, pre-rolls. He does. He wants to do a commercial. He wants to put te- client testimonials on his website. His current firm doesn't don't doesn't have any reps that do that. So they don't they don't conceptually understand it at the mm-hmm. compliance level. So they don't know how to approve it or not approve it at the you know. So this this rep particular rep is stuck in this back and forth and, and feels like he can't get his marketing of his business off the ground mm-hmm. because his firm won't work with him to support it because they don't think they he doesn't think they understand it or they have the staff to understand it right yeah um so it, it's it's things like that where compliance can be uh you know should be your friend and work with you consultatively on uh helping you uh do what you want to do within your practice within the framework of the rules that have been set forth, not only at the industry level, FINRA, SEC, but also any sub-level compliance requirements that the individual firms have. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do have some of those things, but they're not in place to be a, a barrier to getting business done. But they are in place to not only, yes, protect the firm, but also sometimes protect the rep from potentially crossing those line, those regulatory lines as well. Okay, um, so it sounds like compliance is the area where everybody has to be relatively restrictive, um, you know, just because that's, that's the rules. The rules are the rules. Um, but in general, would you say that you provide a more independent experience in that area than some of the other firms that you've seen out there? I, I would say we provide a more consultative um, approach to working with our reps from a compliance perspective. I, I don't think compliance and independence really kind of tie together, right? Sure. It's it's uh, it, it's more we consult, you know, our compliance team is involved with a rep from the moment he comes here uh, from on a recruiting trip, right? We get to know each other there. The compliance is in the room asking questions about making sure they understand the rep's business and asking questions of any potential issues that may come up between us and it gives the, the rep an opportunity to kind of fire away at our compliance department as far as how we do things here too so that has a level of independence to it but i would say it's more of a consultative solution than really tying it to independence if that makes sense okay and to wrap up here um just wanted you to talk about independence as it plays out with the relationship that you have with an advisor I just think it gives them peace of mind that um, when, when they interact with the leadership of the firm, uh, you know, they're getting, they're, there's no filter, there's no middle people between um, the advisor and the firm. It, it, he's hearing it from the horse's mouth, for lack of a better term. You know, it, I think there's a comfort level there that, that, you know, that whatever that issue is or that dialogue is, is real, it's accurate. Uh, and, and I think that helps with trust. I think it helps with building the relationship between the firm and the advisor, right? Um, it really comes down to, I mean, this is a relationship business at the end of the day. So, you know, if you don't have good relationships with the people you're doing business with, I don't think you're going to have a, a long runway from a successful run, you know, running of a, of a business. So, you know, a lot of firms say this stuff, um, uh, you know, it's easy to say living it is another thing and if there's days here that living that is not the easiest thing 
but we have to stick with our knitting and stick with what we uh, have always set out to do and, uh, uh, and and execute against against that. So if we do that consistently, sometimes the advisor or the rep isn't going to like the answer, but he knows it's going to be for the right reasons. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think that helps build credibility and relationships and trust, which is, uh, I think, what this is all about, in my opinion. When, when a client does business with a financial advisor, it's built on usually trust. Do I trust this guy to manage my money? You know, at the end of the day, this rep is in charge of managing my retirement assets and, and making sure I have enough money or doing the best he can to make sure I have enough money when I retire. Do I trust that? Well, it's no different than an advisor, you know, with us. Do, do, does he trust what we're, what we're presenting, what we're saying, and what we're, we're doing? So we, we, you know, we try to best we can to live by that every, every day. Yeah, and so if trust can breed more independence, you know, you think that having a direct relationship, a personal relationship more than just, you know, you email each other once in a while, that kind of thing can, can really go a long way in freeing up an advisor to run his business the way he wants to run it if he feels like he has feels like we have his back right for lack of a better term thank you for listening to another episode of the LaSalle Street Live podcast as always if you're an independent financial advisor out there looking to explore your options we'd love to talk to you you can reach me by email z-a-k at lasallest.com that's l-a-s-a-l-l-e-s-t dot com or you can call my cell phone anytime 708-828-0050 my name is Zach Sandeman work in business development here at LaSalle Street Securities and I would love to speak to any listeners out there interested in considering making a change I'd love to connect you with Mark our Chief Business Development Officer who you also heard from in this episode we can talk about the future. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time here on LaSalle Street Live.